Welcome to The Master Plan, a property podcast. I'm Rebecca Shackleton from Polkadot Property. And I'm Nikita Jenkin from Scattered Recruitment. Nikita and I have come together to do this podcast with a goal of unpicking the complexities and the nuances of the property industry. We want to do that by interviewing guests who will offer insights on the industry and their career journeys. We're really excited to have you on this journey with us and we're going to have a lot of fun along the way. Nikita and I are excited to have Oscar Stanley with us today. Oscar joined ABN Group as General Manager of Development following a decade of acquiring and managing some of Victoria's most well-known and complex projects. Previously a Senior Development Manager at Stockland, Oscar oversaw Highlands, one of Australia's best-known and award-winning master plan communities. Following his time at Stockland, Oscar joined ID-Land, where he was introduced to the private property sector. He managed six active projects from end-to-end across both Greenfield and infill suburbs. Now with ABN Group, Oscar works across Home Buyer Centre, Boutique Homes and Resolve Finance. In his role as General Manager, he's driven to deliver quality, affordable homes and townhouses to the market. Welcome, Oscar. Hello, ladies. How are you? We're really well. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. An absolute honour. Very excited. Are you excited? I am. I was doing my homework this morning, um, listened to Nick's episode, episode, episode one. one, and Hadn't spoken to Nick in a long time, but um, yeah, love the content and I'm very happy to be here. As Brought back some good memories, Absolutely. Highlands memories. Yeah, he said Highlands, it took me way back to the <laughs> barn, sitting out there in Craigieburn, the lake, delivering the dream. Good times. I'm, I'm the fourth wheel here. Um, <laughs> I haven't worked on Highlands. But we're going to take you out there. I'm going to take you on a road trip to Highlands. Yeah. We'll go to the barn, we'll go to the cafe. The barn? It's a... It was the sales office, but we used to work oh, out there. We yes. were on site, close to the community. Yeah. You know, we'd do the sausage sizzles out the back door. and yeah. Why is it called the barn? Because it looked like a barn. <laughs> oh, okay. Fair enough. I'm excited to see the, the barn in Craigieburn. But excited to talk to you, Oscar, uh, the man, the myth, the legend. Don't know about that. Uh, that's what people say. So just wanted to maybe start with, do you want to give us a bit of a summary or a bit of an uh, introduction into how you got into property? Yeah, Um at school, I was an absolute nerd, so loved my maths and physics and chemistry and was on that journey to be an engineer, you know, as you do. Career advisor said that was best for me. Um, so uh, got into my degree at Melbourne Uni and they did a gap year and the perspective that that 12 months gave me, it's like, oh, I'm kind of too defined in what I'm actually going for and I'm passionate about it. And at, at that um, point in time, they offered a double degree with property so I thought I'll just do that. I always always had an interest in in property, and um, from day one, I just really felt like the people side of those two degrees were very different, and I found myself very much sitting on the property side. And so, as I went through that that double degree, I just got more and more committed to exploring the world of property and and construction, and um, you know, less passionate about the numbers. So um, that kind of led me to. Um, Bit of work experience with um, some big construction bid, bid businesses like Multiplex. Worked out, I really didn't love that that side of things. You know, the unionised sites and what kind of roles were you in? Oh, literally, you know, carting around concrete. And um, <laughs> I thought you were going to say coffees then. No, no, that would have been that would have been easier. Um, no, I was labouring just with a with a friend and just to get some experience on what these sites were like and. I, my, my time ended in, in construction when I actually had a wet um, concrete, barrel load of wet concrete, and these little little elevators that go up the side of the buildings under construction called Alimax. Mm. There's a big Russian guy in there called Goran who's about eight foot tall and 
I kind of went in too fast and the wet concrete filled up to his basically his oh, ankles. Oh, poor Goran. Yeah, poor Goran, poor Oscar. Was he mad? So, yeah, he was not happy. So he didn't <laughs> let me he in stuck his. There? Well, he didn't let me in his little elevator for the next three weeks. And so I. Did he get out of the elevator? Is Goran still in that elevator? <laughs> he could somewhere? be. He was getting paid so much, I don't think he'd ever leave. But um, so. That that really led me down a path of what else is, well, is out here. Well, unemployment is where it led you. Definitely not labouring. So yeah, to cut a long story short, I had a really good friend um, who had just started with Stockland, and and at the time um, I was still studying and and never heard of Stockland. Had no idea what that business was. And at the time, I think there's about thirty people in Victoria in the business in St Kilda Road. A man named by the name of Brad Padden, who now runs APD, interviewed me. He was a bright eyed guy from Perth that was running a project down in Point Lonsdale. Um, it was very complex and, and going through a, a fairly interesting planning process. And he said, mate, if you want to learn the industry, come, and, come and join me. And this one's got the full Monty. So um, started working with Stockland while finishing off my degree. And, and, and Brad's a are. fun guy to work with. He was well. brilliant. So yep. good introduction into the industry. Yeah. So what role did you start in? Little development assistant earning, you know, less than I was labouring with Goran and um, but just loved it. Like straight away, I guess that land development, you know, the, the people once again really attracted me to that industry and, and I very early on, and I know Nick mentioned mentors, but very early on without me really formally getting a structure in place, I had some brilliant early mentors and mm-hmm. likes of Ken Breeze from Breeze Pick Dixon on the engineering side and there was a guy called Don Mazone from Clayton Utes on the legal side and there's some incredible people, obviously, at Stockland being very supportive. So I just felt like I fell into this, you know, really supportive environment that it was really pushing me to learn quickly and, and get up to speed. So I um, think that's a theme that we've seen with chatting with Nick and our other guests as well is having the right support and mentorship at mm-hmm. a young age at these pivotal moments and luckily enough going into environments where that is available to you. Mm-hmm. But having that sets you up. I think we were really fortunate back then because Stockland really wrapped a huge amount of support around all of their all of their people, and it was it was that, but it was also the team culture, it was the friendships that we made, and still have today. Yeah. You know, twenty years down the track, hundred percent. So yeah, I think I hope that people um, that are starting out are still getting that same level of support, but I suspect it's probably changed a little bit. Well, thirty people to how many are there? No idea. Yeah. I mean, we, we do a lot of work with that that um, company now on on the other side of the fence, and yeah, that's incredible how it's grown into many different facets of Victoria and you know, they're the largest diversified developer in Australia. So, yeah. How did you um, move into the acquisition space? It was just a, an itch and I think acquisitions, you know, I think it's it's really seen as being at the front end is that opportunity to be really driving a business forward and I always, you know, loved the, the, the sense of a deal. So, you know, I think that genuine business acumen, feasibility, cash flow, something I always, once again, being a bit of a numbers guy, always felt quite attracted to. And um, the opportunity just arose. There was a um, obviously a mandate to grow the Victorian business. So they were growing a team and jumped across there um, just after Point Lonsdale got its um, approvals and, and started in the acquisitions team. So, Do you um, think there's a, um, a personality or a positioning or a, a motivation? Because not everyone can jump into and... I guess a select few do make it. What do you think it was that you had that gave you that? Uh, I think a little bit was right time, right place, right time. Um, but it's it certainly if you can get some experience in acquisitions, 
And it doesn't need to be a full-time role. You know, a lot of people can assist in these types of roles and get the experience of what makes projects work and, mm. and start getting that understanding of, you know, sensitivities. If I change this, what is the impact on on our returns? I think it's a very beautiful So putting way. your hand up to, to learn from others. Absolutely. And, you know, there's... And it's all aspects. It's the feasibility. It's is the project going to be profitable? How many lots do we need to build into the... So it's really from a development manager to go into the acquisition space, it's giving them a broad understanding of the entire financial complexities of a project kind of beyond a stage and beyond all of those kind of small bits and pieces. It's certainly once you transition from acquisitions into development, it gives you an yeah. appreciation of, you know, what the base assumptions were, um, whether they're right or wrong, <laughs> and what drives ultimately the profitability of a project. So, But also that people aspect. You said the relationships with landowners and sales consultants and agencies and, you know, being a people person is probably an important aspect. Yeah, uh, there's certainly there's some, certainly a lot of doors opened just due to the fact that it was Stockland. But even then there was there was doors you'd knock on and they'd invite you in, you know, probably huffing and puffing under their breath and you'd give them your little business card and they'd put in a Taladex of 5,000 other business cards and you'd have a quick chat. But there is an element of sales to, to, you know, instilling trust in people. You know, these are big decisions, you know, when you're dealing with a, a, a landowner that may not be in the industry. Um, so there was a lot of relationship building and, um, you know, that the difference I think that some great acquisition managers have is a real passion for the people, what their motivation is in the land, like actually kicking the dirt and walking talking about the tractor, why have you got that ute, mm. you know, what's happening with the cattle. Like it's, you know, if you see the people that have really been successful in this space. That was my next question, yeah. why the move back to It was just market conditions, you know, just um, there wasn't the same appetite for a period. So, you know, the team was deployed elsewhere and, and it was my opportunity to jump across into development, which mm. um, I was super excited about. And, um, yeah, particularly to be on a project like Highlands, not to go back on ground covered, but, you know, quite an iconic project and, yeah. and something that a lot of people over many years had set up this beautiful mm. community. So to, to take that on was a real responsibility that I, I really enjoyed and, and we had a terrific team out there rolling out, you know, an amazing vision um, that others had set up. But um, to be able to be part of that and mm. see it continue on and the next precinct now yeah. releasing in yeah. Craigie Burn West, it just continues. So um, Seven years, long stint. Yep. But then you moved across to ID land. Correct. So what was the, the reasoning behind that? Well, straight out of uni was my only job I'd ever had and, um, you know, a couple of gentlemen, Matt and Jeff, um, went out and started their own business that were at Stockland and it was an opportunity to kind of get involved in a different part of the industry being obviously a small startup private. Mm-hmm. So um, that was obviously appealing and then just the nature of their projects with some built form and some other aspects, um, you know, finance. And you do get, in some aspects, you get a bit sheltered in those bigger corporate businesses. Um, you know, the money comes from Sydney, mm-hmm. Stockland's example, and there's not too much exposure as to where that money comes from, at what rate, who are they talking to. It's such a big business. Mm-hmm. So I was really um, with ID Land. You know, I was, I was down at Officeworks in the morning picking up the, you know, the pens, and then at the end of the day you're meeting with the bank talking about, you know, what Variety. lending options we've got. Exactly. The full end-to-end yeah. kind of development cycle, which what was what I was looking for. Do you think that's the biggest difference between publicly listed and private sector is just having 
more exposure to more things in the private sector? Yeah, I think it's. I think it depends because um, ABN Group, and we'll get to where I am now. It's a it's a big private business, mm. so you know I think it's it's more to do with the scale mm. of the business as to what you have access to, yeah. and you know the bigger the business is, the more specialised people can be. But um, you know, I think I think my time at ID just taught me you know, quick decision-making, um, you know, pretty pretty amazing business model that was moving rapidly um, compared to a bigger listed entity, which you know, has to be more measured with their decision-making. Yeah. Um, it was a very different environment. And um, I guess where I've ended up is probably a mixture of the two. Um, you know, it's a big private company that, you know, gives a lot of autonomy to the people to make decisions and get on with it. But at the same time, you know, we've got our, we've got our lanes and we know what, what the business is trying to achieve. So, um I think I've seen a good variety of, of business models, but that's probably the biggest difference is the scale. That's definitely what I, what I saw as well in terms of private versus publicly listed. It's just the ability to make decisions quickly yep. when you're in a, a smaller business and you know, less red tape and and, um, and just you can move forward a lot faster, yeah. which, is, which is good. But I think, um, you know, Andrew Whitson, who's still there at Stockland, I remember when market was changing quite rapidly, you know, he certainly was like, I'd prefer you to make 100 decisions quickly mm. and 20 of them to be wrong yeah. and then sit around trying to make one perfect decision. Yeah. So certainly that's something that I learned, even in those big businesses, that you can still you can still make a lot of decisions with the right people <laughs> as your leaders. So, um, you know, I've kind of taken that mantra. Another theme of leadership and, you know, getting that, um, having someone to show you the way but mm. not micromanage or allow you to make your own decisions. Yeah, it license to make make calls and make yeah fall over. And I guess what I do with my team is like I want you to be if you're not making decisions and making mistakes, you're not you're not moving fast enough. Just don't make the same mistake twice, and we're all good. So then after ID Land, a few years there, over to ABN. Yeah, so For the last eight years. Yes, yep, that's correct. Time flies when you're having fun, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, I, I had an opportunity to jump across to the dark side. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a land rat at heart, but to, I never thought I'd end up on the builder side of the equation. But I guess my time with ID, I got um, involved in building those relationships with all the different builder partners and, you know, I struck a relationship with, with Aidan Hooper, who's, who's the managing director here in Victoria, and there was an opportunity to come across and, I guess, bring bring a land um Lens, lens to everything that that business does because ultimately every house needs a block of dirt, right? So um, they're quite linked. And 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 as we've seen with product types and the trends over the last eight years, it's getting more and more linked because of affordability. You know, land, land sizes on average are more than 150 square metres less than mm. eight years ago. So. Yeah. You know, but the, the other thing that you must report was your relationships in the land side of the business as well and being able to to really quickly hit the ground running and, you know, you had all of the relationships already. Yeah. So that must have been pretty appealing to ABN. To, to, to totally. I mean, once again, ABN already had some terrific relationships and I was kind of grabbing onto a, a baton. But the reality was um, we knew we knew really clearly who our key partners mm-hmm. should, should be and who we maybe weren't doing enough work with and... There was a lot of work in that first year, just making sure that our strategy, which was all based on fewer friends, better friendships, like let's just do it beautifully for a few that we know are really well aligned with us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it comes down to people as well as, you know, geographic diversity, scale and, and complexity of their business. But at the end of the day, it's the people, you know, 
we've got a no dickheads policy um, at ABN and that's that's within the business and the people we deal with. That's sometimes difficult in property to um, <laughs> facilitate that policy. <laughs> well, you know, and, and, you know, as a recruiter um, you'll appreciate we don't always get it right, but the, they always get found out, I find. In a good business what I've seen is that they always get found out and, um, you know, I, I think that, you know, I get up every morning excited to, to to work with my team and the people I deal with I love. So that's a pretty cool starting point to a day. And I think part of that must be the strategies that you've got in place to bring the right people into the team. So can you talk about that in terms of who do you who do you try and attract? What types of people do you try to bring into the ABN team? Because everybody that I've met at ABN are all amazing people. So you do an, an, an excellent job and they will have a yeah, lot of retention. Fun. Yeah, yeah. retention has been excellent and yeah. particularly at the, the more senior level. Um, now I, I do think it comes down to culture fit. You know, I think I think people throw around culture at, at a company level, you know, pretty flippantly, but I think cultural fit is very important. And I think there's, an, there's obviously bad culture and good culture, but there's the right culture. Mm. And um, there is a, certainly an ABN culture that, that people are attracted to, which means we don't use you as much as we probably should. That's Nikita. right. I'm knocking on your door, <laughs> but there's, yeah, everyone's very happy. Yes. Well, just, just as long as you're knocking to provide opportunities, not take them away. Um, <laughs> Never. But ultimately, um, you know, our strategy has been pretty consistent where um, we look for we look for parallel industries um, where people have a skill set and experience, but really we're, we're, it's, it starts with, with culture and cultural fit. So, you know, an example is in the sales team, um, we might not go and get someone who's sold property before, but they may have sold at Harvey Norman or they've sold in a car yard. Yep. But they're, they're the right cultural fit. In our, in our customer service team, might be someone that's been in hospitality or been a concierge at a, at a hotel, but it allows us to bring in people that are new to the industry, maybe have a, a more of a, a runway as far as what they can earn, just the nature of the industry we're in. Mm. Um, but we can teach them the way we do things and they're not coming in with, with a history of maybe, you know, some bad habits potentially. Oscar, not to uh, toot my own horn, um, that's it, <laughs> but I did start um, in the car industry. I was an aftermarket sales girl for there quite a while um, and then I sold cars for a little bit. Um, I also dipped my toe in real estate. But this is what I tell people in recruitment mm. is that and every single industry, every role, everything is really sales, marketing and relationships. Mm. And the car sales industry gave me that platform to where I haven't been in the recruitment industry very long, but I'm very competitive with people who have. And I, and I'm, you know, happy to say that I'm doing very well, but that's because of my sales training and my background. Um, And I guess, uh, you know, my first role in property recruitment or my first role in recruitment in general was, was a manager taking a risk mm. and bringing me on board, not having experience, but having the attitude, the motivation and the sales mind. Mm. And here I am. So I guess. So can I ask you a question? Yeah. What is the margin on the tint upgrade aftermarket? <laughs> okay. So we'll, look, I'll give you a secret here. Tint Specifically, aftermarket and dealerships don't make money on. Oh. The tint is a throw-in um, and, and it's it's everything else. It's your paint protection, it's your interior. <laughs> and actually I really do like these products, but you've got to believe in your product, right? right? You're, so you're selling sense. me. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, it, the car industry is a very particular type of industry and people do not get 
paid very well, but they worked very, very hard. Yeah. So it is a great platform there's, to there's take. There's parallel industries and they're really, yeah. really And I guess pool. that's what breeds loyalty when you give people an opportunity who don't, who would not otherwise think that they would get an opportunity to yeah. move into a completely different category. Yeah. You know, if you give someone a go, like, you know, like you did Nikita getting to recruitment and like your team have from other industries, mm. that makes them feel very loyal to Yeah, and to guess what? They've all got friends. And, you yeah. know, the, it becomes quite a powerful attraction, mm. you know, proposition and, some of our most successful have come from being an Uber driver or Harvey Norman or whatever, and they've made this incredible life for themselves. And yeah, it's quite, it's quite, um, yeah, it's quite humbling to kind of see. So what... that's the the sales team. Yeah. Um, in property and in your other roles in development, did you have the same vision or same ideology about recruiting people into development roles? Yeah. So we we've got a small development team. It's probably more relevant for the for the for the building team, which is obviously a huge part of. Mm. our workforce so we've got 700 or so people here in Victoria and the majority would sit in that that builder and customer service team and the operational back of house and that is a bit of a different beast because there's quite specific skill sets that mm. you need you're not just going to give everyone anyone a, a hammer even though we don't own a hammer, hammer we're just <laughs> we're site managers that are very good at what they do but um, it is a bit more difficult and and then it comes down to training and it's really okay you can pick a great person but they might have to spend three months, um, and we've got one of the best training guys in, I think, Australia who's been with us forever and takes all of our people through, no matter what their experience, the way we build houses, um, and they'll spend three months with us before they are let free to do anything. But that's another great philosophy is putting the time into people and not expecting everyone to come on board knowing everything and, you know, we use this phrase, relentlessly hit the ground running. Mm. But some people with a little bit of time and care and dedication and, and education will hit the ground running and run faster than everyone else. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I think it's, it's that balance. I think culture is your number one cultural fit, but then you've got to support it with training development and also, you know, just the expectation of how, how, how quickly that can have an impact. And I'm really interested, and I've always wondered this about ABN. So you've got your three brands. You've got Boutique Homes, Home Buyer Centre, Resolve Finance. Yes. The culture between Boutique Homes and Home Buyers, does it get competitive? How do you manage that? You have to manage both teams. Is it, you know, so how do you kind of keep the team, you know, really positive and happy and friendly, but yeah. then still when they're competing against each oh, it's, other? It's, it's fascinating and it's evolved. Um, yeah. You know, I think, I think eight years ago, um, Home Buyers Centre was, you know, it was a bit of a footy club. You know, it had a certain certain team and and they were highly successful, highly competitive. There's always friction there, but ultimately um, over time we've seen those barriers really drop to a point that the referral business between our brands are at the highest point it's ever been and and we've got a, you know, like a state ABN sales manager now, Michael mm-hmm. McCourt, who kind of sits over both teams. So, yeah, it's a lot, a lot more harmonious. Believe Can it or I not. ask what is the difference between the brands? Absolutely. So because to me, it's all just you know home building. But what is the nuances between? Yeah, so I guess the two brands have two very different customers they're targeting. Mm-hmm. The reality is the quality is the same. So as far as you know, someone using a good good site manager versus a bad site manager, our guys build everything. So guys and girls. Um, the reality is it's the size of the home. And the specification just allows the price point to be an entry level versus someone that's a bit more aspirational. So, so it's more a design. You know, design-led, 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And market positioning. I guess Boutique Homes has always been positioned as a more premium brand. Yes. And Home Buyer Centre, you know, a um, first home buyer. Yeah, brand. more solution focused. So, you know, a, a home buyer customer probably is sitting on a couch at the moment and they don't really know mm. that they can afford a house. Um, so it's a very different marketing strategy because you're trying to get someone to engage that, that you know, they're, they're thinking they need to save a 10% deposit to go and buy. Well, this is me. Yeah. I so don't know. Like, five, can I buy you, a house? Have you got no five idea? grand in the bank? I do. Well, we're on. I should. <laughs> <laughs> After this podcast, you'll have heaps more than that, right? <laughs> yes, um, seven. Seven thousand. <laughs> but that's the reality and, and this is where resolve Can you imagine in. if I buy a house out of this? Well, this is you're going to Craigieburn. Yeah, got... Highlands. I don't want to live in Craigieburn. <laughs> no, you, well, you do. You don't, you don't do know I? what it is. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Um, so certainly the resolve, um, this is where the resolve uh, influence on our business and, and resolve has been around since 1990, really to service the building brands that sit within the ABN group. And, you know, we're only a very small part of the overall pie and, and ABN's history is very much centred in, in in Perth, kind of started in the 1970s. Like every good, you know, every good candidate, everyone in development is from Perth. We yeah. talk about this all the time. Yeah. It's something in the water. Yeah, so there's certainly, you know, that, that, that Western Australian influence has been, has been strong, but and Aiden's been over here when they bought boutique homes for about, 13 years ago. So, you know, certainly we've, we've bought, bought over brands and people and ideas, um, but, you know, the resolve influence on on what we do, particularly in that home buyer's brand, has just been core to it. its success because, as we've seen, you know, finance is such a big driver to people's mm-hmm. confidence, what they can what they can purchase, sentiment in the market, and, um, you know, it's allowed us to really, even in the current environment with mm-hmm. interest rates bouncing around, Sit down, have high quality conversations around what it means for each of our customers and how that might influence their decision making. So, um, yeah, Resolve's a huge part of what we do. They, um, yeah, they're lending over one point four billion dollars a year now wow. as a as a as a mortgage broker. So they've got they've got scale and and some great people in there that really support what we do. And confidence is a really interesting topic given, um, you know, the the market at the moment, some of the challenges that we've seen um, play out over the last few weeks. How do you build confidence with customers and are, are customers coming to you feeling anxious about going forward? Absolutely. Yeah. I think each each customer has its own, they have their own story mm-hmm. and and I think um, we've certainly had some customers come back to us um, over the recent events and, you know, ask some really relevant questions around the, the risk they're taking in, in building and buying off the plan. I think all we can do is talk to our history, you know, we've, we've completed 85,000 homes, mm-hmm. you know, we've kind of been around for a very long time. Um, you know, the two owners of the business are highly involved in the day-to-day business and, um, you know, we're investing in the business. We just opened an office in Geelong, mm-hmm. about to go through a huge technology transformation at, at, you know, massive investment back in the business. There's only so much you can do. Yeah. Um, so at the end of the day, we're never going to force a, a, a customer to build with us. No. So, you know, we're very much saying, hey, you know, we've actually we've got a lot of activity happening at the moment. We can talk to our build times and give you confidence in what we're doing. But if you're not comfortable, proceed. Let's have a conversation about that. And, and um, we're not really seeing cancellations yeah. um, kind of reflect what, what I thought the anxiety would have driven. Yeah. So I think it's, 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 it comes very hands-on mm. um, and, you know, that's why you need a lot of people in a, in a building company that, customer journey is so detailed, mm. um, you know, you actually are dealing with them in so much detail with yeah. cu- cu- colour selections and every single detail. So 
we've a lot of people to keep our customers happy and tucked in, but I feel like, you know, considering the current environment, we're doing it pretty well. Yeah. Oscar, can I ask um, some of the comparisons or things that you've uh, come across working for developer yep. and working for builder? So that comparison, because as you said in the beginning, moving to the dark side. Yeah. And this is the assumption that, you know, a lot of people in development have, I don't want to work for a builder yeah. or I don't want to work for a builder developer. Mm. Um, but there's a lot of uh, assumptions about one and the other. Yeah, they're, they're totally different business. Um, the biggest one is just the moving parts and the amount of people. So, you know, if you look at just revenue and turnover, you know, a, a builder at our scale, you know, needs 700 people to, to run it. But a developer at the same turnover might, might need, yeah, 25 and a great marketing team. But, and a great recruiter adding yeah, of in course, there, of <laughs> finding them these people to do this. But, but the reality is it, it's just a totally different business model. One's debt funded, the other one's probably cash flow funded. So there's a lot of nuances between the two. I just find um, in the building game there there's just way more moving parts. Like it's actually a very complex business model and, you know, you can kind of sympathise with the industry at the moment mm. that, you know, the, the complexities on top of inflation and, and trade issues and supplying of materials and everything else, um, and by no means am I saying land development's easy, but but certainly it's just oh, a lot. Once of- I said that to a client <laughs> and I got a very long detailed email yeah. of how complex. No, there's a few things it's under. It's not just cutting up shapes. Yeah, there's a few things under the, under the road and a few things to do before you get to build it. But, yeah, I just find for me... Um, Ultimately, the two are moving closer together, but the two the two are coming closer together. Um, and and you know we've seen businesses try and do each other's work. Mm. Some being successful, others haven't. But but certainly the relationship and and built form informing what's shapes are being cut up. Certainly that needs to be done better throughout the industry. If you look at where planning's going and the requirements around density. You know, even if you're a land developer who wants nothing to do with a builder and you just want to stick to the land ratting, you're still going to need to understand what that end product roughly looks like. Otherwise, you're going to get a permit that's potentially not worth mm. as much as it should be because it hasn't been informed by the right product decision. So, Well, that- I was at the, the Urban Developer um, Residential Summit the other day mm. and it was, there was some, it was a fantastic event. Um, I really enjoy their events. Um, and all the everything the speaker said, but different. Are they speakers. almost as good as UDI events? Uh, I I want to say potentially better. Controversial. Look, no, look. I'm happy to say I feel like um, potentially the because it's they're a private, obviously, organisation. I feel like potentially speakers feel a little bit more open and and like they have to be less politically correct so mm. people can have controversial opinions. And that's as as a person who attends an event, you want to hear something interesting, mm. you know, not just the same. All right, well, this is the challenge. I'm going to make the next UDI event fully controversial. Please. Controversial. Please yeah. do. All right. Have Nikita up there. Sure. <laughs> guys, I'm I would host one of these things. Let's do right? a podcast okay. live at the UDA. That's all right. Well, oh, my God, we could. <laughs> See how um, it goes. Maybe the master plan is the next MC. Or a sponsor, yeah. Um, but what, what they were saying was 900,000, you know, um, dwellings are needed because of all the migration, et cetera, by 2030. So to me, land developers are not becoming obsolete, but they're going to have to diversify and bring on some sort of built form to keep up with demand because it, it, just naturally 
you probably won't be able to be just a land developer when the demand is for built form product. Yeah, I mean, no one wants to block a land. Like no. you know, the, the industry's always needed each other, and I think I think developers are they're the best to do this this work. We're not we're not going to go and start trying to be a developer. It's a very different mindset, even though my background's in that in that that world. It's just a totally different business model. So developers will will be needed more than ever to bring on that supply and. The reality is in the current environment with affordability, um, you know, it's an absolute crisis at the moment. On You look at where, where prices have gone for house and land packages and townhouses and then you overlay that through through our resolve business, what people can actually lend. The equation just doesn't quite add up at the moment. So, What can I get with that 5000 <laughs> I can get you a Three town, bedrooms. Yeah, 18 square townhouse with a view of a park. In Craigieburn, <laughs> walking distance to everything you need. No, no, no. Think about it. <laughs> Oscar, do you think, obviously there's a lot of talk in the industry about built-to-rent and, yep. um, you know, the financial viability of built-to-rent compared to this is apartments, obviously, yes. which is a little bit different. Yeah. But do you see that as an opportunity for greenfields um, having kind of long-term, long-term secure yeah, it's, it's rental a, accommodation? It's a fascinating question, Beck, and, and you've probably got more experience in this sector than, than I do, but... You know, certainly we're watching that very closely because there will be a horizontal model of some form yeah. in the future, I've got no doubt. It has to be because people that need that secure tenure are often families that want their kids to go to the same school. They may not be in the position to buy a home, although if they only need $5,000, may not know that they're in a position <laughs> to buy a home. And that's going to be, I think, the complexity between the two as well is yeah. actually you can buy and you don't have to be a long-term renter. Can I have a backyard though because I have two Absolutely. dogs? I don't fine, have kids, fine. but I have two dogs. <laughs> and we've got a little doggy you know, bathroom upgrade you can do. In the is laundry. that boutique or is, is that it's all right. home we can do that It was you. a boutique. That's fine. It's a, yeah, it's pretty good. It was a, yeah, that was a really was popular good. social yeah. trend, that one. Yeah. So, but but I, I think to your question, it's a totally different capital mm. arrangement, as mm. you know, through your, your experience, mm. Beck, and, and there's going to need to be, I think it needs to be proven mm. in the apartment world before we can get too excited about what it means for green. So you'd have to look at MD. Yeah, I think it'll first. be density at scale yeah. And, yeah. and I think it needs to be, you know, built out mm. um, at scale, which needs a lot of capital, mm. and, and that's where the the metrics have to make up as yeah. far as a long term return. I, I think there's no doubt there's an opportunity there in the future. Mm. Um, at the moment, we'll just sit back and, and mm. see how it rolls out. I'm going to ask a question here, and I may sound silly, but, that's your but job. this is my vibe. Yeah, like <laughs> to ask the silly questions. When you say density at scale, yes, what do you mean by at scale? Well, for us, you know, a, a townhouse run might be. 10 in a row and then then that's that's not scale for us we we kind of see 50 to 100 plus so you by saying at scale you mean the largest amount possible for that area yeah like co co-located precincts that might sit around some amenities. So here, there again, co-located. Yeah. What is the English word for that? Just they all together. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so this is one thing we were talking about earlier is the... The, the language. The language yeah. Yeah. and, you know, again, me asking silly questions but which may, someone may understand, you know, because someone may understand how to speak oh, Chinese or French but seriously. I don't. So. It, you know, I did French up to year 10 and then I went to Stockholm and I learned a whole other language, right? Yeah. So um, the reality is the industry is obsessed with its own language. And I, I, I get it, it's easy and once, you, once you're in the lingo, it makes things easy and off you go. But bloody hell, it's hard and, and particularly when you're bringing people out of industry, as mm. I mentioned before. Recruiters. So clients talk to me and I <laughs> nod my head and I have to then go back and Google and be like, what on earth were they talking about? Yeah. I have no idea. Yeah. Candidates as well. 
So I think, you know, Beck and I had a quick chat before. We have a glossary of terms because it is literally like, you know, you need a dictionary. When And it's not an ABN thing, it's an industry-wide Business thing. Business idea. Here we go. The ABN dictionary. There you go. I'm happy to flick it around to all your, your listeners. Yeah, I've got, Hello, a, I've got a whole bunch of good acronyms that I can add in as well. <laughs> well, there's recruiter ones as well. There's things we say and people go like, oh, what do you mean? Like, yeah, but I think, you know, that is part of it. I think I think what I like to do with new people that come into the business is just like if we're in a meeting, if there's anything you don't understand, just write it down and we'll catch up afterwards and we'll go through it because the quicker you can jump on it, what ends up happening is people get into a business, they get two or three months in and they haven't quite worked it out yet and then it becomes awkward. Yeah. You know, like mm. what do you mean you don't know what a PCG is or a, yeah. you know, PSP or oh, yeah. we can go on and on and on. So I've been recruiting in property development for a year and a half before I did, or nearly two years right. before I did that course and I learnt PSP. Precinct structure plan. Well done. You're all over it. Thank you, Ken Monroe. <laughs> <laughs> What's a DCP? Uh, design construct plan. No, but close. <laughs> but no, we're PG. It, it, we can swear. But the, the reality is, it, it's it is it is difficult for people mm. to, to to integrate into the industry. I think you just got to give new people, you know, the license to to. Yeah, once but again. But that's part of culture and that's part of building a really great culture is yep. giving people that opportunity to say, hey, it's okay that you don't know. Yep. Ask the question. Let's make sure that we make time together. Write everything down. Ask me anything you need to. And mm. that is where people come into a business and they go, I actually feel really relieved that I'm somewhere that's supportive and is going to you know, I feel like we've me. got an extra theme in both yeah. our episode with Nick and our episode here with Oscar in that leadership and being a good leader and being an understanding leader, you know, maybe this is a a precursor to a management course, mm. our podcast, because there are a lot of people out there in management positions who don't understand this, these, you know, ethos, this well, it's, ethos. It's an interesting debate because in a growing business, which which you know, obviously ABN has been over the last five years, we've we've learned a lot of lessons, and and the reality is, some some technical experts just need to be better technical experts and we should be able to give them a runway that allows them to be the best nerd in whatever part of the business they're in. Mm. They don't necessarily have to go and manage people to get that next opportunity. And well, I think often they can't. Well, this is the this is the shift. You, you just can't expect that person mm. to be able to manage people well. And and we know the number one reason why people hang around in business is because of their immediate manager. So it's such a it's such a hard balance because that person's a fabulous operator. You yeah. want to give them new opportunities. Yeah. The business has to have the confidence to say, no, you just keep running. We'll pay you more because you are so good at that. So it's changing that mindset of you have to have a big team underneath you to be successful. Well, no, actually you don't. You just need to be really, really good at what you do. Mm. I and think then- sometimes it's the mindset of the actual person in knowing taking reflecting on yourself and knowing what your skill sets are mm. and that maybe you are not meant to manage people. Yeah. I am not meant to manage people. I am <laughs> numero uno and I say that I am not a manager. Yeah. I don't care what other people do. Yeah. I only care about myself in a nice way. Um, but I would never want to be put in that position, whereas I think a lot of people don't have that self-awareness mm. or they think the only way to get ahead is to well, be a manager. But it is... It is the only way to get ahead in a lot of businesses, and and ABN's been the same in the past. Um, you know, you've got a band if you're if you're if you're doing that role, then you've got a band to there, and then you hit a ceiling. Whereas the value that person's adding might be twice the person next to them. So what, why can't they earn more? Um, so it's a really interesting debate at the moment, particularly when you know you've got this new complex management relationship with people working 
remotely and from home and you know there's there's less contact points and how do you how do you actually mentor people and coach effectively mm. um and provide all this all this amazing flexibility you know we need to let experts be experts um and i, I think it, it's it's a it's a it's just an ongoing debate that i think you know businesses need to battle with because yeah as you said Nikita, you'd be a terrible boss oh absolutely but you know what i am a great employee there you go <laughs> I am a fantastic. So Jeremy just needs to keep just paying you more. Yes, yeah. Jeremy, are you listening? Thank you. Um, have you had any? Can you tell us any horror stories? You don't have to name names. Have you had any terrible bosses, or if you'd uh, like to talk about some great bosses? No, I think we'll keep it on the positive side. Um, yeah, certainly, I've had different people inspire me along the way. Um, you know. To call out one person in particular, I mean, Aiden, you know, obviously is like my, my current boss, but, you know, what attracted me to go across to the dark side was, was really was him and, and the culture that he created. And I think um, following maybe the right people, you know, for, for me that's so driven by energy and, and culture, that was the right call for me necessarily than going, well, is this exactly the right job for me? And I think, um, you know, I'd seen it um play out with ABN when I was outside of the company, but just the ability for people to kind of build a business around themselves and, and almost, you know, they'll throw someone into a, a role and it's like, well, you make it what you want. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what really um, I felt, you know, once again had that licence to just go on and get mm-hmm. stuff done. And, um, you know, he's been a great supporter of, of me and my team and, and the growth that we've achieved. And, um, you know, certainly that's the first one that comes to mind. But then throughout, like there's 20 people that I could list mm-hmm. that have, you know, relationship, you know, um, business acumen, mm. you know, socially, you know, I, I think there's been a lot of people that have influenced what I've done, but um, I still go back to that 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 first year at Stockland and, and learning the basics of good relationships and just little things like, um, you know, developers have a lot of consultants that they use and, you know, the reality is, you know, how often does a developer go to the consultant's office? You know, and and how genuine is the relationship you're building? That's so true. Like yeah. it's so one sided. So one sided. So you know, I would make sure anyone in my team, would at least once a quarter, would would have a meeting with their consultants in the consultant's office. And I don't know if if that means your file comes to the top of the pile, you know, more than others. You know, the impact that that has on the business could be massive. Yeah. Um, so I think that so once a once a month people should also have maybe a lunch with the planning minister <laughs> or their council planner and get yeah, top of the pile. That becomes more difficult, um, <clears throat> but yeah, certainly I think even at that very very early stage in your development career, you can start building great relationships. And you know, I I, I put myself out there when I was at Stockland. I jumped on the um, outlook committee for UDIA, and you know, the people that I sat on that committee with. Are now running businesses, and we're still great friends. And you know, it started from just wanting to organise some, you know, some drinks after work for an industry event. So, I think putting yourself out there and just not underestimating how powerful the relationships can be. The re- reality is, it's a small industry. Mm-hmm. Everybody um, knows everybody, definitely do. <laughs> yeah. and everybody's you, worked with everybody. Yeah, everybody's placed everybody. Correct. So, you know, you've got to be got to be really conscious that you're building quality relationships and. And potentially not using your position as a developer or, or as, as you know, a way to just get stuff done and not forget about the people that have helped you got there. Uh, I want to know what's next for ABM. Well, yeah, it's it's um it's interesting time. I think you know we're we're kind of 
I guess as a business, ABN as a brand is kind of, you know, not something that we, we celebrate. It's really about the retail mm. brands being boutique and home buyer centre. Um, you know, we're, we're, I, I think we're a bit of a duck on the pond at the moment. Like we're really trying to make sure that, you know, we're just maintaining just this beautiful, calm, serene <laughs> little duck on top of the water and we're absolutely going bananas underneath. But yeah. the reality is, um, you know, building at the moment through the environment we have, we're really proud of the way we're going about it. And ultimately, you know, if you've got happy customers and getting good quality homes, then you don't need to spend a lot of money on marketing because they're telling their friends and and we're getting on and doing more of it. So for us, I think there's some exciting next generation discussions. Um, You know, you look at areas of prefabrication, Mm -hmm. sustainability, spec housing, um, you know, just high density than what we're already doing. They're all exciting mm. next phases. Um, but but is it the right timing to be launching head on into into innovation? You know, I think at the moment with affordability and, and so much variables, um, there's a lot more we think we can do within our current business model. Mm. Um, we've gone into regional Victoria mm-hmm. um, pre-COVID. You know, we're building a business down in Gippsland. Um, there's a lot more we're doing within the brands. So, you know, for us, um, you know, really it's like we've got this great footprint and a great team. Mm. We think there's a lot we can do within our existing business model and just do it better. Mm. Um, and I think that's that's one of the challenges that that builders have faced through that very inflated, um, mm. supercharged, um, incentivised world was, you know, a lot of builders were tempted to take on too much. And I think that's one thing that I know we really were strict with is kind of you can only do what you can do. Yeah and um, take on what you, you can put your hand on your heart and deliver. And Do you I, think that's going to come back? I hope it's not, the highly incentivised kind of retail. <laughs> no, I, I, think, I, think, I think we've learned a lot from that. Yeah. I, I feel like it just ran on for a bit too long. Yeah. Um, I think it was the right decision at the time. It loses value, though, in market after a while yeah. isn't it? because people come to expect. So this is talking about offering $100,000 worth of upgrades for $20,000 or land developers offering oh, $10,000 rebates. That, <laughs> but well, it's it's just, more, I'm more. about to buy a house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you can't resolve. get that. Yeah. We, had, um, we had a really great sales meeting last week and, and one of our guys, he's like, do you want a discount or do you want a house? You yeah. know, like I think in the current environment there's a real value to the proposition of a builder that just is doing good stuff and, and just doing what they've kind of been contracted to do and um, – there's a value in that um, in the current environment. And I think the whole industry's got a lot of work to do in getting people's um, trust back. Yeah. You know, I think our biggest competitor is the established market. Yeah. And at the moment, our product's overpriced, takes too long, it's mm. got too much risk. Um, there's a lot of reasons why I'd go and buy something done. Um, so I think it's something as a collective industry we need to, to, to work on and not blaming anyone. Like it's just been an unforeseen environment that mm. we've traded through. But... Um, I think it will take time to really get that fellowship back at at at, at high volume. Mm. Um, but, I, you know, I think at the end of the day we've got this beautiful advantage of, you know, affordability mm-hmm. with the right design. And, that, and that's what I think my focus certainly has been is how can we use the land as efficiently as possible and build a beautiful home for someone mm. that's not going to cost a fortune. Oscar, have you taken any risks in your career and have they paid off? Yeah, I think, you know, leaving a business that you genuinely mm. love was a risk. So, yeah, 
I left Stockland at a time where I was really, you know, being well supported by the by the business, had a great opportunity. And but for me it was, you know, what what more is out there in this kind of, you know, um definitely there was a push to see what else is out here. Cause mm-hmm. I could see a really clear path with Stockland. They're obviously a fabulous business to to work for. And a lot of the people that I'm working with are still in there. Mm-hmm. Um but for me it was about taking a risk to see something different. Um and ultimately you know, I think for me, my journey means that I'm, I'm a well, well-rounded well property professional now that kind of has seen a few different parts of, of what we do as an industry. And ultimately, I think that just means that I'm making better decisions today because I can kind of see, you know, both businesses um, and the, what, what's motivating them because it's very different. You know, the, the expectations of a, of a listed developer and their results is totally different to what a smaller private want from their their development and you know that means that as a builder, we can we can engage with those two, two, two developers um, totally differently because they've got totally different outcomes that they want to achieve. So, um, for me, certainly it's been a journey, but that was probably the biggest risk that I'd taken. But so, it, so, what's next for Oscar Stanley? Um, yeah, I think I think there's some pretty exciting opportunities. I mean, I, I look at I look at the medium term for for Melbourne property um, and Victorian property. I think it's super exciting. You know, I think the pressures that we're seeing at the moment around rental vacancies, um, the pressures we're seeing that are going to be further um, further amplified by immigration, um, you know, the social housing side of what's happening um, as a, you know, crisis. There's mm-hmm. it's, it's so much opportunity out there. Um, for ABN, it's just ensuring we don't try and do too much too quickly and it's always been um, a methodology that, you know, just incremental growth over time is probably the best way forward and, when you're lurching into different markets and different strategies too quickly, ultimately something breaks. So for us, it's just about steady as she goes at this point. But, um, yeah, I'm very, very much um, feel a part of that future of the business and, um, yeah, I'm super excited about the future. Yeah, fantastic. Well, Oscar, thank you so much for your time this morning. We have loved chatting to you. It's been great. It's been oh, really thank fun. you. Oh, I've loved it. Have you had fun? I've actually had a ball. Can you believe we've been chatting for an hour? No, time flies. It does. But I do love talking about me. <laughs> we love so, talking we all, about yeah, you as yeah. well. So, but please come back. Come back and come on our podcast again. God. Phase well, two. I think I'm going to book an appointment with Resolve. Okay. Um, because I have $5,000 and if I can buy a house tomorrow. And I'm Seriously. taking the key to Thailand, Island. So if, it's all, all full We're circle. all winning. All right. This is a deal. If... If you if you buy a house off us, I won't charge for my next next appointment. Okay, good. Yeah. Great, good. because you're too expensive <laughs> and times are tough. Yeah. Thanks for listening. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode. Thank you also to our sponsors, Polkadot Property, a small but mighty marketing consultancy connecting people to place. And Scouted, your go-to for property and construction recruitment. To scout is to seek, to be scouted is to be found. Also, a big thank you to Central House for letting us use their beautiful podcast studio. If you'd like to get involved, you can reach out to Nikita and I at themasterplanpodcast at gmail.com. Make sure to like, share and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time. Bye.